We are in a series where we have been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we are talking about the idea and ideas around how your life matters. And at times, we might wonder, what do I, what do, I do with my life? At times, we might wonder, what do, I, what do I do? What do I do with my life? And that might be job decisions some of you are trying to make. That might be living decisions that some of you are trying to make. That, that might be just kind of how you spend your time, that you're trying to decide, what, what do I do? Should I take this opportunity or take this opportunity? Should I move forward with this or should I move forward with this? That There's all sorts of choices that we are trying to make where we say, what do I what do I do with my life? Some of you are getting older, and as you enter into the older years, you are trying to decide, what do I do with my time now? As you may be near retirement or are in retirement, I was talking to someone who is nearing retirement and trying to figure out uh, this last week, what, what do I do now with my life? And so I know many of us have this question come up at different times. Maybe it's not even a question you're thinking about right now, but just as you consider it today with the whole of your life and choices and everything, what do I do with my life? It's an important question. Like I said, some of you maybe are facing decisions that you are trying to make. Maybe some of you are um, not really thinking about this question at all. You're just kind of busy you're having fun maybe in life and it's not really at the forefront of your mind. Maybe some of us are really suffering and it's the furthest thing from your mind to kind of ask big questions about what do I do with my life? It's just kind of how do I get through this right now? Some of you uh, that have new children or having new children, you're not thinking about what do I do with my life? You're just thinking about how do I get to the end of today? And yet, it's an important question. It's your life. It's a huge question to say, what do, I, what do I do with my life? And the drift that all of us have is not to think about this. Most of us don't wake up every day saying, what do I do with my life? That's, that's not a normal way to live, right? Our drift for most of us is to just kind of get involved in whatever we're doing and be busy and be active and, and have fun and not necessarily think about the things that are most important. What have I done with my life? What am I doing with my life? What should I do with my life? And we talked a few weeks ago about living ready for the return of Jesus. And in some ways, what Jesus gives to us today is similar to that. It's, I could have just, in some ways, kind of repeated and redone the whole uh, message. It's, it's similar, and yet, as, as I was reflecting on this and thinking about this, like, man, why don't, don't you have any new material, Jesus? Like, why, why do you keep talking about the same thing over and over again? And, and yet, that repetition is part of the message in and of itself, that we are forgetful. That we hear something one Sunday, that we hear something from God one day, and, and we go, yes, that's awesome, and then live our life and do our thing. And so there's a reason, even, that Jesus oftentimes talks about the same themes and the same things and hits the same messages and calls out the same ideas and, and convicts us of the same issues because that repetition shows us how important these kinds of questions that we're looking at today, or really all the different things that he repeats, are. 
I heard someone say once that people don't remember what you say, but they remember what you emphasize. Or another way to say that is they remember what you repeat. And this is what Jesus wants us to grasp. He wants us to know that asking the kinds of questions about what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my time? That those questions matter because your life really does matter. And so he's going to give us a story today that really shapes our whole vision of this and helps us to reflect on this. And, and my prayer this week and, and my prayer today and, and my hope for us today is that this really would shape our lives, that it wouldn't just be a message that we hear and then go about our lives, but Jesus intends to speak in a way that our lives are changed, that we're never the same. That should be all of our heart's prayer and desire is that we're never the same when we hear God's voice. And Jesus speaks to shape our vision, to shape the answer to the question, what am I doing with my life? What do I do with my life? And so we're going to look at this story that he gives to us and then really look at the three different snapshots of the faithful life and the fearful life and the formed life, or how the faithful life is created. So let's read this together, and then we will explore what Jesus says. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable, because he was near Jerusalem. A parable is a short story that has deep spiritual meaning. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. They thought that Jesus was going to bring God's kingdom right then, right there. And instead, he tells them a parable to help them understand that there will be waiting and what we are to do in that waiting. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants gave them 10 minas. A mina was a sum of money equal to about three or four months' wages. And he told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you. Since you're a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew that I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. But they said to him, Master, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them 
in my presence. Let's explore this story that Jesus gives to us to shape our vision of what we do with our life. And the first part of this I want to look at is the faithful life, or really just how we think about living life with Jesus not here today. If, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, and I know maybe some of you are exploring your faith and not sure really what you believe yet, and you're maybe coming back to church and checking things out, and, and that's great. But if you're a Christian, what you're saying is, I belong to Jesus. And if you were to live 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here on the earth and you said, I'm a Christian or you said, I'm a disciple of Jesus, that would mean that you had signed up to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going where you take me. We're going to go to whatever villages we're going to next. We're going to serve with other people. We're going to preach in whatever towns. We're, we're giving our life to you. When Jesus made the call to his disciples and those other people that were following, the larger group of disciples, not just the 12, people followed him. They literally went with him where he went. And so a couple thousand years ago, if you were to ask the question, what do I do with my life, and you wanted to be a Christian, it was a very obvious thing. You went with Jesus and did whatever Jesus said. But today, Jesus is not physically here. So what does a faithful life look like today? And really, when we look at this story, there's a few different things that we can see of what the faithful life looks like as the master in the story summons these people. And the first is this. Just look at these three different things. It says that he called 10 of his servants. And even just that word really shapes the beginning of what it means to have a faithful life, which is this idea. God calls us to himself. That if you are a Christian, God has called you to himself. Again, think 2,000 years ago. Jesus goes around and says, Matthew, follow me. Peter, follow me. John, follow me. If you are a Christian, Jesus has spoken to you and said, I have called you to me. I have called you out of darkness into light. I have called you out of the world and into my family, into my kingdom. If you are a Christian, you have received the call of salvation where Jesus has called you to himself and you belong now to him. He gives you salvation. And some of you grew up in the church and it's kind of always been like that. But some of you know this experience where you were walking one way and living one life and doing one thing. And Jesus, through a friend, through a sermon, through the Bible, through maybe all sorts of different things happening at once, called you and said, you are now mine. Jesus calls us into his family, and he calls us into his service. He calls us, just like in this story, he calls us to himself in salvation, but also into his service. He calls us to join him. He calls us to participate with him. This has to be the starting point for any decisions that we're making. This has to be the starting place when you ask and think about the question, what do I do with my life? This has to be the starting point for what do I do in this instance or what do I do with whatever I'm trying to kind of make choices about? 
This has to be the starting point for the big ideas of even career and location and marriage and family and time and money. And this has to be the starting point is that I am not my own, but I have been called. I am not my own, but someone else has authority over me. If you think about, and we don't have a lot of analogies like this in our life where we have been called to something and we're not really in charge. The closest that I can think of is maybe the military draft where you are called to something and now you are in the service of the one that has called you. You don't show up after you have been called and say, well, what would I like to do? What do I want to do with my, with my life now? They tell you what you are going to do. You don't just get to decide anymore because you have been called into something. Jesus has called us. Maybe even jury duty would be another thing. I don't know if you've ever been summoned for jury duty, but same thing, right? If you have been called to jury duty, you don't get to show up and say, what would I like to do? Would I like to serve on the jury? Would I not like to? You have to. It's the law when you have been called by one that has authority. And so many times, we don't start in a place of calling when we're thinking about our decisions, our choices, what am I going to do with my life? Where do we start? We start with, what do I want to do? Which is really the opposite. We start with, what feels good to me? What might bring me happiness? What are my passions? Maybe I'll take a test and find out what number I am and what personality trait I am and what sort of gifting I have. And, and then when I see who I am, I'll decide what I'm going to do with my life. Instead of saying, I've been called. That has to be the starting place of a faithful life. That's what happens in this story. He calls them to himself. And the starting place is this. He has authority. He is the caller. He is the one that has summoned me in salvation. He is the one that has summoned me into his service. So here's the question. Is that your heart posture? Is your heart posture, as you think about choices, maybe, maybe you're not trying to make any choices right now, so you have to look back and go, what about the choices I've recently made? Maybe you are trying to make choices right now. Maybe you're just thinking about the question and going, okay, so what am I going to do with my life? Wherever you kind of come into this conversation, is your heart, I am totally surrendered to you. Tell me. I want, I am surrendered to you. You have all authority in my life. You called me into salvation. You called me into your service. So here I am. My life belongs to you. I'm all in, in whatever it is that you want to say to me. Is that the starting place for you? A position of surrender. Not just one time, like when you became a Christian, but a continual posture, position that is saying in everything that you come to, I'm yours. I'm yours. I belong to you. You've called me. Here I am. That has to be the starting place of the faithful life. That's the first thing. Second, what he does as he calls those people to him is it says that he gave them 10 minas. So we looked at the word called. We can also look at the word gave or that God has given things to us. In the story, it's money. But really, it's recognizing any resource, everything. It's recognizing that all that we have is a gift from God. All that we have is from him. All that we have has been given to us. 
Your money that you have, whether it's billions and billions, and come talk to me afterwards, uh, but if it's billions and billions, or if you are struggling to make ends meet, all that you have has been given to you by God, your money. Your experiences have been given to you by God. Your story, when you look at your past and you reflect on, here is where I've come from. Here's the things that I've experienced in my life, the good and the bad that have shaped you. That is a gift. It's been given to you from God. Your time, your skills, the different things. Maybe you're good at writing or speaking or serving or you're compassionate or you care really sensitive to people's needs or also maybe you're just good at fixing things and not just good at fixing things. If you're, you're, whether you've got billions or you're good at fixing things, I'd love to talk to you. Whatever it is, your skills, all of it has been given to you by God. Everything you have, your education, your family, your relationships, your house, it's been given to you by God. And you might say, I, I made it. I did it. I earned it. I put in the time. Nobody got me here. I did it myself. Good job. You're very American, right? You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You made it happen. But God gave you those boots to begin with, and he gave you those straps to begin with, and he gave you the breath in your lungs. Everything has been given to you by God. It's all been given to us by God. But listen, this is so important. Not as a gift. And what I mean by that is this. It's not been given to you. When you get a gift, what's our response supposed to be? Thankfulness. You get a gift, and your response is supposed to be, thank you. You take that gift, you unwrap it, you say, this is awesome, thank you, I really appreciate this, right? What God has given to you, he has not given to you as a gift, he's given it to you as an investment. Those are different. Now, obviously there's a sense in which he's given it to you as a gift, but this story, these are not gifts. He didn't say, here, take these minas and go enjoy them. Just thank me for them. It's given to you as an investment. If you have a 401k or 403b or other investment plans or if you ever meet with a financial planner or anything like that and you give them your money and they send you a selfie from Hawaii and go, thanks, you go, that, no, that was an investment. I am entrusting that to you to do something with, right? If you have kids and you give them to a babysitter and then you, they take a selfie and they say, thanks for my kids, they belong to me now, you say, Okay, bye. No, you say, you say, no, those are my kids. I gave them to you to take care of for me. It belongs to me. That's not a gift for you to just say thank you for. It's a gift for you to steward for me, the one that gave it to you. Everything that you have has been given to you by Jesus. Everything that you have whether it's money or time or your story or your experiences or your relationships or your physical goods, everything has been given to you by him to use for him. It's an investment. It is not a gift. That's very important because it's easy to look at what we have, to look at the things we have, and to, based on those things, set the course of our life and make decisions. How much money do I have? Okay, that's how much of a house I can buy. How much time do I have? Okay, so I can do this hobby, or I can do this thing, or I can sign up for this thing. 
What gifts do I have? Oh, I've got these gifts. What desires do I have? I've got these desires, so maybe I'll go into this career, or I'll do this with my retirement. Or, or I'll... And all of it is looking at the resources, the gifts, the skills, the personality that we have and saying it's mine to use how I want instead of it's mine as a steward to invest it for him. A very different mindset. The faithful life is one that recognizes that we have been called and so we surrender, that we have been given to make decisions for him. It's not a gift, it's an investment. And then third, the next part is he told them to engage in business. So he calls them to himself. The posture then is, I surrender. He gives them things to invest. So we look at what we have and say, okay, this belongs to you. And he told them to engage in business. He doesn't just give them things. He doesn't just call them to himself. He actually commissions them to engage, commissions them to be a part of what he wants them to be a part of. What you, when we ask the question, what do I do with my life? When you reflect on what have I done with my life or when you think in the future, what should I do with my life? What am I doing with my life? The answer to that question is what I do with my life is to invest everything from him for him. That's the answer. That's what engage in business means. It means that everything that he has given to me, I use for him. That's what it means to engage. That's what they did in the story was to engage in business. It's to invest what's from God for God. And really that should drive everything that we are doing. Every decision that you are reflecting upon making. Every, every encounter Every choice, whether that's major life choice or small things, has to be filtered through that grid. Engage in business. This is what the Greek word for that is, and I don't normally put up Greek, um, but it's the Greek word pragma tuamai, which means to pursue with vigor or to be concerned about or to be occupied with. It's a total kind of, this is everything I'm about. Engage in business it seems a little too uh, neutered, but it's, it's really this vigor, this concern, this occupation that is, I am totally invested in this. This is what I'm giving my energy to, my passion to, my thought to. It's what my plans are. It's what my goals are. It's what's on my heart. You have felt this about different things in your life, right? What have you been concerned about? What have you pursued with vigor? What have you been occupied with? Sometimes it's stress and things. If you, if you take the same, let, let's explore it negatively. What have you been occupied with and concerned about negatively? Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's a, a coworker or boss you don't like. Maybe it's family drama. And, and you're occupied with it. You're concerned with it. Maybe there's people that you love that are in trouble, whether that's health or financial or spiritual, and you're occupied with it. You're concerned about it. That energy that has kept you up at night, that energy 
that has made it so that you're stressed or, or don't want to look at your phone and see what the message is or that you are making plans for anxiously or that you're totally avoiding and just stress eating ice cream, whatever it is that you've been occupied with and, and concerned about, that energy, he says, take that and use that to take everything I've given you and use it for me to engage in business, to pursue with vigor, to be occupied with. That is what he means. Or let's think positively instead of negatively. If there's been something that you have wanted really bad, Maybe it's been to, to get healthy, and so you've pursued that with vigor. You've gone to the gym, or you've dieted, and you've made sacrifices, and you've done things pursued with vigor because you wanted to be healthy. Or maybe at least you just wanted to be healthy for the wedding pictures or whatever, right? For just like a little season, you wanted to be healthy. Or, or maybe it's that you wanted to uh, finish school or get a certain job or to get a house, and you pursued with vigor. Maybe it's a person. Your spouse or the person you're dating, you pursued with vigor. said, I need them. I want them. And you pursued with vigor. Whatever, whatever it is where you've given your passion and energy and concern, all of that is what that engage in business means. It means to with vigor and passion and occupation, using our mental energy, emotional energy to pursue to engage in business. That's the faithful life. Is that what your life looks like? What are you concerned about right now? What are you occupied with right now? A lot of times, if we're honest, and this is church, so you don't have to be honest out loud, but you can just be honest between you and God. If we're honest, if you think about what those terms pursuing, occupied, concerned, a lot of times it's other stuff, right? It's maybe my financial situation. It might be my comfort and just trying to have a happy life and be cozy. It might be my safety and just kind of ordering my life in a way that everything is set up and good. I'm set for the future and maybe even my kids are set for the future and life is good and life is safe. And we're oftentimes occupied, concerned about pursuing comfort, security, maybe even success for some of us, kind of a certain position and we feel like we've got influence and we feel like we're able to call the shots or whatever it is. A lot of times that is what we're concerned about. And that then becomes the filter that we use. Because if what I'm pursuing and what I'm concerned about and what I'm occupied with is money, then that becomes the filter I use to decide my choices. That becomes the filter I use to decide what am I going to do with my life and what should I do about this or this. If it's comfort and convenience and happiness, that becomes the filter. If that's really what I want, should I make this choice or this choice? That becomes the filter. That's how this works. Jesus says, I've given you everything that you have. And he wants what controls us, what drives us to be, I want to maximize what you've given to me for you. It's from you and it's for you. And listen, there's a couple things I think that we need to add to this, which is that's not just the big things. In fact, in the story, it specifically calls out later, he says, because you have been faithful in a very small matter. 
that idea is this. It's not just the big things. It is the big things. But it's everything. God is calling you to engage in business, to pursue with vigor, to be concerned about, to be occupied with faithfulness to him, even in the very small matters. Sometimes our dreams of big faithfulness keep us from the small faithfulness right in front of us. Sometimes we can think, oh, I'll be faithful when my kids are this old and I can't wait to teach them about God and I can't wait to help them serve. But when they're a baby, we're not thinking really about what it means to be faithful with them right then, to be praying for them, to be teaching them God's word the same that we're concerned about teaching them their ABCs. Sometimes we can be thinking, I'll be faithful and learn what it means to have my faith connect to my work at this point. But when we just got the job and we're, just barely starting out, we're just trying to get by and maybe get a promotion and get along with our coworkers. Sometimes that's even is true in our serving in the church, that we can think, okay, yes, faithfulness looks like when I can do this and maybe lead something or really change something. And, and, and right now I'm just setting up chairs. See, God calls us to be faithful in very small matters. He calls us to be faithful with what is right in front of us. And listen, faithful meaning occupied with, pursuing with vigor, concerned about. That energy is not just for the big things. Man, I hope some of you can do things that change the world. But that energy of pursuing with vigor and occupied and concerned is for the very small matters right in front of you today. It's for whatever is right in front of you today to bring that energy of I'm engaging in business with this right now. And so many times we never actually get to where it is that we want to be or hope to be or pray to be if we don't engage here in the very small matters. You can, the reward that they were giving was you, you're overseeing 10 cities. That sounds awesome. I want to oversee 10 cities. Okay, just work with this small amount of money. Oh, I don't want to do that. No one wants to sweep, but everyone wants to own a broom factory. I don't know, I just made that up, right? But, but it's same, you understand that principle, okay? No one wants to own a broom factory that I know of, right? <clears throat> Other thing is this. It's not just big things, it's small things, but it's also not, okay, God, I think this is important from this passage too. It's not, it's not this. Okay, I want to be faithful. So tell me what to do, God. Tell me what to do. So many times, Christians can get bogged down into, tell me what to do. That's not what happens in this story. God gives them the resources and says, engage in business, and then leaves. He tells them what to do. He doesn't tell them how to do it. He tells them what to do. I want you to pursue with vigor, be occupied about, be concerned about my purposes, and then leaves. He doesn't spell it out for them. They are free to decide how to fulfill what he has told them to do. God will tell us what to do, but often not how to do it, which gives a lot of freedom, which some of us don't like. We, it's easier sometimes to just be told, give me, give me all the specifics. Write out a list for me. But that's not how God works. 
Most of the time, God can intervene and show up and tell you specifically something to do, but most of the time, he doesn't do that. In the military, they have what's called the commander's intent, which is something, and I've never been in the military, but I've just studied this and different leadership books and things, they will reference this, but the commander's intent is just the objective of what the commander needs done, self-explanatory. Take that hill, knock out that battleship, overtake that big gun that's shooting all of our people. Here's the intent. Here's the end outcome. How they do that oftentimes is up to the men on the battlefield because there's so many variables and so many things that change and so much stuff that happens that, that you can't plan out every single step. That is what we see in this story. The commander's intent is given. Engage in business. It's the same thing that Jesus tells us all the time. Love your neighbor. Make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. We are told what to do. We're not told exactly how to do it. We are told to serve people. We are told to work for justice. We are told to care for the least of these. We are told to share the gospel. We are told to do all sorts of things. We are told to use our gifts and time and talent and treasure and all of our life for Jesus. He hasn't spelled out a script, but he has given you his intent. And we can't, we cannot sit by and say, as soon as you tell me what to do, I'll do it. He's already told you what to do. We can't be a soldier that's sitting down with their gun unloaded saying, as soon as you tell me what to do, I'll, I'll do it. He's already given us his intent. So that means it's on us to say, okay, now I'm going to engage in business and go for it. What if you took everything you had? And you just did an inventory. And you said, God, okay, my money belongs to you. It's all been given from you. Now what I want to do with my life is use it for you. That's what I want to do. And so you start doing that. What if you took your time and said, God, you've given me my time. Every day that I have, every hour that I have, you've given me my time. And so what is from you, God, I'm going to use it for you. And you just laid it out said, okay, God, this calendar belongs to you. What if you look at your skills and your gifts and you say, God, you've given this to me and I'm going to use it for you with vigor. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to be occupied with. I'm going to be concerned about my money and my time and my talents and my relationships and everything I have. God, I want to use my life to pursue with vigor your intent. That is what he calls us to do. What if you take your job and say that? What if you take your, your role in this church and say that? And say, God, whatever you have in front of me, it doesn't matter how small it is. I'm going to be the best chair setter upper that anyone has ever seen. I'm going to be the best teacher that anyone has ever seen. And it's not just about being the best. I'm saying that in a sense where the Bible tells us to work with all of our heart because we're working for the Lord and not for men. And so to say, I'm going to do this. Maybe you want to be a principal, but I'm going to be the best teacher there's ever been. I'm going to take care of kids in the back better than anyone's ever done. I am going to pursue with vigor engaging in your business because it's for you. And everything has been from you, for you. I'm an investor and I want to make a return on your investment, which is what happens, right? In the story, those that were faithful come back to him and say, your mina has earned 10 more minas. This guy, a little less, but still great, 
no one would turn down a 500% increase, right? If you are investing and someone says, I, I can do this for you, you're going to give them your money, right? I don't even think Bitcoin has done that well. Your mina has made five minas. You present to God everything you have. And what happens is this. It multiplies. Now listen, some of you have done this and you've seen this happen in your life. You've given some money and something has happened from it. You've served and people's lives were blessed and changed. You've had a conversation and loved someone and something changed in their life and then there's ripple effects where then they changed someone's life and they changed someone's life. You stood up with courage and that helped someone and then they stood up with courage and that helped someone. You raised and discipled and loved your kids and then hopefully they have kids and raise and love and disciple their kids and it has ripples, it multiplies. When we take everything that has God has given to us, this is what, listen, let me back up. This is what we want in every area of life, right? That's why this is such a great story when you use finances because we all connect with that. You want to take your money and invest it in something and to see that kind of return. You want it to multiply like that. We want that in every area of our life. You want whatever you do, if you're faithful and committed and pursuing and occupied, you want to see that spread. And Jesus is saying, I've given you everything. And I want you to invest it and see it multiply. See the beautiful benefits. See the spiritual benefits. See the life change that happens. See people's lives reoriented. See people come to faith. See marriages changed. See kids loved. See people served. See things actually change. And some of you have done that. You've given your life to that and you've seen it. Some of you maybe have gotten little snapshots of it and Jesus is saying, there's more that you can have. Listen, God wants to give you a fruitful life. Who doesn't want that? God wants to give you a fruitful life. That is available to you. A life that touches and changes so much around you with ripple effects. I was talking to another pastor who said, I think it was back in the 80s, maybe early 90s, that he was in China and he was leading Bible studies in China with um, some ministry out there. And then he hadn't talked to those people in a long time. And then like maybe last year, I think, is when this happened or it might have been um, the beginning of this year. He had a conversation with someone he hadn't talked to in 30 years and said that the ministry that they were doing is now when it was just like a little Bible study, it, because of all the ripples and what it has affected, is over 200,000 people that are affected now and a part of this. And he didn't even realize. He, just, he didn't know. He just thought, I was being faithful with this little Bible study that we did and didn't hear anything about it 30 years later. So it's, a lot of times we don't actually get that information. Maybe he died two years ago and never even was told that. A lot of times we don't get that. But that is what Jesus is inviting us into, is to say, take everything you have and invest it. Invest it. Take everything I've given to you and let it come through you. Be a conduit. Sometimes you'll get that amazing story. A lot of times you won't. But it's about living the faithful life that he calls us into. Is that what you're driven by? Is that what moves you? I don't care if you are in school, elementary school, or if you are way past elementary school. It's never too late to say, God, I want to be faithful. I want to live the faithful life. Next piece of the story that we see is the fearful life 
which is really why we don't do this, why we, why we don't engage and live like this. And there's two groups that don't live like this in the story. The first is those that just, they didn't even want the king to rule over us. They said, we don't want this man to rule over us. They hated him. Now, we might not think about that a lot. Really, in the story, these are those that are not Christians, which might not feel like hating Jesus, but if we don't want his rule in our life, we are saying, whether we actually verbalize that, I don't like you. Therefore, I do hate you. I don't want you to be king. I want to be king. And I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on that, but if there are those of you here that are not Christians, Jesus is calling you to trust him as king. But the second group, I think, is really what we can maybe more relate to, which is the third servant. And he says this, I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. He does nothing with what he was given. And the reason that he says is because I was afraid of you. There's fear in his heart. He sees who God is. He sees who Jesus is and doesn't really trust him. He's afraid of him. He doesn't really know him. Instead, he has a wrong view of his character. He says, I've kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. Now, we probably don't oftentimes think that we're afraid of God. But if you boil down a lot of our inactivity or a lot of our not living with vigor and occupation and faithfulness, it is this very issue. Let's just look at some of the things that we've talked about. Why don't we give money? Why don't we give in the way the Bible calls us to? Sacrificially, abundantly, joyfully. Why? Well, the reason is we're afraid. We're afraid that if we do that, there's other things that God will not provide for us. We're afraid that if we do that, that we will miss out on the good life, even though God is saying the good life comes in, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We're afraid. And so we don't live faithfully. Why don't we serve with our time? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we use our time on this, that all of this stuff over here, again, we'll miss out on. Life won't be good. God won't be good to us over here. I have to preserve my life. God calls us to serve, but we say, God, I know that's what you're saying, but I know what's best for me more than you do. I want my good more than you do. I want my comfort and happiness and joy more than you do. We're fearful of who he is or who he will not be. We don't actually know his character. Why don't we risk? Why don't we try out that thing? Why don't we put into action that idea? Why don't we go for it? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that it won't work out. We're afraid maybe that God won't give us the power to do what he's called us to do. That, that the inevitable outcomes we just kind of put in our mind and so we let fear govern us. Why? The big idea. Why don't we just surrender all of our life and all of our choices and all of our decisions and just say, it's all on the table, God, it's yours. I belong to you. Why don't we do that? Because we're afraid that if we entrust our life to him, he won't take care of us. If I entrust, listen, I wouldn't go to any of you and you probably wouldn't to me. I wouldn't go to any of you and just say, my life is in your hands. Do with my life whatever you want. I wouldn't do that to you. Why? Because I don't trust you. 
at the level of you're a perfect human and a perfect God and a perfect savior and that you love me perfectly, that you're perfectly wise and that you're perfectly in control. I don't trust you like that and I shouldn't and you shouldn't trust me like that. But I trust God like that and God is perfectly loving, perfectly wise, perfectly in control. But we still are afraid that he won't. We're afraid that he doesn't know what he's talking about. We're afraid that he won't be good. We're afraid that he can't handle the circumstances. We're afraid that we're afraid. And so we don't live the faithful life. We live the fearful life. And here's what it leads to. You know what it leads to? Not safety. I mean, excuse me, it leads to safety. Not hate. It doesn't lead to hating him and rejecting him and saying, God, I don't like you. When we don't trust him, what it leads to is playing it safe. I've kept it safe in a cloth. That's what it leads to. See, this servant isn't like the subjects that said, we hate him, we don't want him to be king. He says, yeah, I want you to be king. Yeah, of course. And yeah, I'm not going to steal your money. He didn't go squander it. He didn't go spend it somewhere. He says, yeah, I, I'm going to keep it safe in a cloth. I've kept it safe in a cloth. That's what it leads to when we are fearful, when we don't trust God. I've kept it safe in a cloth which means this, we call ourselves a Christian, we live a good moral life, keep it safe, pray for our friends, just do good at our job, just kind of try to keep it safe. You don't want it to say on your tombstone, I've kept it safe in a cloth. You don't want it to say at the end of your life, man, they really kept it safe in a cloth. That person is rebuked. That person is told, you were fearful, and so you weren't faithful. Keeping it, we watched um, Fast and the Furious 9 on Friday, my wife and I. And I'm just hopeful there's another 9 coming, you know. It's, it's almost like Land Before Time. It's the only other franchise that keeps going. And it's just like Fast and Furious 39, you know, I can't, I can't wait. And it's a stupid little line, but I was thinking about it this morning, that one of the things they said in it is, uh, he, he says to one of the girls or something, he says, be careful. And she says, um, when, you're, when you're careful is when you get hurt. Now, that's a great line for Fast and the Furious, right? That's true, not with most things in life. If my children say that to me, they will um, be in trouble. Uh, but it's true here. And when you're careful is when you get hurt, actually. That's what this guy did. He said, I kept it safe for you. I kept it safe in a cloth. But that's actually what hurts your life. That's actually what hurts your joy. That's actually what hurts the intent and the purpose that God has for you. That's actually what hurts deep meaning. That's actually what hurts legacy and impact that God wants to do through you and fruitfulness. Keeping it safe in a cloth is not the verdict you want over your life. It's not. We want to give our life to him. Final thing is this, the formed life, which is really just what leads us to this, what, what shapes this, what creates this for us. And there's two big truths that help us. The first is, is this, which is, it says, at his return, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so he could find out how much they have made in business. And here's, here is a truth that helps form our life to be faithful, and it's this. God's going to evaluate our life. 
God will evaluate. Jesus will evaluate our life. That will happen. Which should make us realize this. It actually matters what we do. It's not just become a Christian, don't go to hell, go to heaven. Your life actually matters. It matters to him and that he will evaluate it. It matters to him and that when he returns, he's going to say, all right, let's see what happened. And it doesn't mean that if nothing happened, he says, you're out of my family. Get out. That's not what it means. Although that might mean that you were never a part of his family if your life was only lived about you and that the end reveals that and shows that. But what it shows is this. If he is evaluating our life, it means it matters to him. Your time matters to him. Your money matters to him. Your job matters to him. Your relationship, mat your choices and decisions matter to him. If someone is evaluating, it means they care. It all matters to him. But here's another thing about that that I love. It also means this. He's evaluating your life. It's not what the other people around you think. It's not even by comparison. It's not what your family thinks, your friends think, what your peers think. It's not comparing your life to others. It's saying, I want to be faithful to him because he evaluates and he is the one that evaluates. He is the one I want to live for. He is the one whose approval matters. He is the one whose evaluation matters. He is the one whose assessment of right and wrong matters. He is the one. So God evaluating helps us remember that it matters and it helps us see that what, whatever it looks like right now, even if your life feels insignificant, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying up here, you need to change the world. You need to, you know, be the next, next Martin Luther King Jr. or the next Martin Luther or the next Billy Graham or I, I'm not saying that. That's not the evaluation. God evaluates your life. And if you are living a life that says, I've taken everything that he's given to me and I am eagerly engaging in business, God's going to evaluate that. He knows your life. He knows your heart. He knows what you're doing. Sometimes our life looks small. God evaluates. Sometimes our life might look big and grand and people go, wow. And God knows, actually, it's not. Your heart's been far from me. Or there's more that you could have been a part of and you were actually were squandering it, keeping it safe, even though it didn't look like it. God evaluates. The more we press into that, the more we are formed to remember, okay, I'll be faithful. And then secondly, is that he is gracious. Even just this little thing right here gives us a small window. He gives them a mina and they have a return on investment but he gives them authority over 10 towns and over five towns. That's way more, right? Like no matter how much money you made, 10 cities is a huge reward, right? Like if someone, if you ever want to, like we have a little pumpkin bake-off, okay? I promise you the reward is not even going to be one city. We, we, we splurged, but the reward is not going to be a city. I have given you Lakewood, right? Like that's, that's too big of a reward. And the reward here is 10 towns. Maybe I could give you like, I don't know, Greeley or something. You know, that's, I, I actually Greeley's kind of growing now. So I, I don't know. I probably can't give you anything, okay? Something in Nebraska we can give you. But 
he gives him authority over 10 towns. Now that's just showing this. That's showing the master in the story. That's showing his graciousness, which is what the third servant missed. He says, you're a harsh man. And I knew that he's already proved that that's totally false. He's actually a gracious master, a gracious king. He is a gracious God. And the more that we remember that, this story just is a window, but we know so much more about Jesus's love and grace. We know so much more about his love and grace that the more that we use that on our heart, that helps us say, I want to be faithful to you. You're a God that, yes, rewards with 10 cities, but you're also a God that shows his grace in forgiving my sin that I don't deserve. You're a God that has shown his grace to me time and time again. Listen, even the master in the story is a master leaving to go receive his kingdom and to go bring it back. That's just a parable. But in the reality, Jesus also left to go get his kingdom. But the way that he did that was through his death and his resurrection. See, to come back and give us his kingdom, to give us life where everything has been set right, to give us life, enjoying God as king, enjoying his people in, in a beautiful community, to do that, to go get his kingdom, wasn't just kind of turning in a sheet and getting it stamped, you're now the king. He had to go through literal hell to be able to bring his kingdom to us. His death, his resurrection, to give us his kingdom. See, when you use that on your heart, when you remind yourself, that's who I have. That is the gracious king that I have. What happens is, I go, I want to serve him. There was a time this, uh, this last week that I was, man, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to do this thing. I don't really want to, if I just put it into the story, I don't want to engage in business. But I reminded myself, because I've been thinking about the story, this is the king I have. This is the one that is gracious and has given me everything and loves me and has done all of this to give me the kingdom. So don't I want to engage in business for him? And it helped my heart to then want to be faithful, to pursue with vigor, to be occupied, to be concerned with. The more that we have that operating in our heart, the less that we have fear, the more we want others to experience that, the more that we endure the more that, we, that things don't even look like a sacrifice anymore because we're saying it's for him and he's, already, he's given it to me so it's, it's from him and for him. We're gonna take communion in just a minute. And when we take communion, we're remembering his body broken, his blood shed so that he could go and get the kingdom and bring it to us. And if that's the master that we have who is gracious, if that's the master that we have that loves us and gave his life surrendered to us, then it moves in us and allows us to say, my life belongs to you. I want a faithful life for you. We have one life and we have to ask the question, what do I do with it? We have to ask that question at big times, maybe like today, but we have to ask that question just with whatever choices we're making. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? We have one life. And the decisions that we have should all be wrapped around, he's calling me to be faithful. What multiplication could happen through your life with the minas that he has given you? And so as you pray, I want you to just maybe take some time and confess, God, my life hasn't been about you. It's been about me. 
Maybe it looks like confession around playing it safe. I've kept it safe in a cloth. And that really is kind of the, the end game of your Christianity. Maybe it's looked like rejecting the king's rule in your life. I don't know, but there's probably something for us to say, God, I confess. And, and maybe during that time in communion, we also pray just thanking God. Thanking him. Thank you, God that you have given me this and this, whatever it is, maybe even list it out and thank him for what he has given to you and then ask him to multiply. Ask him to work through you in faithfulness so that you may engage in business to the one that is good to us, to the one that is faithful to us. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you have loved us and that you gave all to us before you ever called us to give all to you, you gave all to us. God, you say that you gave us your son, and so how much more would you give us all things? So help us not to live in fear. Help us not to play it safe. Father, help us to trust your character and then to give it all to you. I pray this in your name. Jesus, would you make these things even more clear to us as we take communion and sing these few songs? Amen.